it's rare for me to uh, think on a Good Friday service about the Father being so good. Um, maybe my normal bent is to think of His wrath on, on a Good Friday. But to think of the fact that not only did Jesus have to come to satisfy the wrath of a holy God, but He also came because that Father was so incredibly loving that He loved the world so completely that He would send His Son. He's a good Father. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we want to recognize who You are right now in this moment. Your goodness to us. Your goodness even to Your Son. Even on that Friday. We know it is love that sent Him. It's good to think of You in that light. That the cross has meaning behind it of of dealing with sin. And dealing with wrath and judgment. May we never forget the other side of it, which is love. As we look at your word tonight, Father, we want to understand it well, apply it well, live it well, breathe it into us. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is a different kind of king, setting up a different kind of kingdom. That's what we talked about last Sunday, Palm Sunday. Here we are on Friday. I want to carry that theme forward. Jesus is a different kind of king, setting up a different kind of kingdom. And I want you to see how the cross reveals that to us. So I've got a problem. I have not ridden on a uh, roller coaster in probably five or six years. They make me dizzy, so I can't do it anymore. But I used to love it. I used to love riding on them. But there was a certain part of riding on rides that I hate. I don't care if you're at Six Flags or Disney World or wherever. You've stood in those lines on a hot day. If you're in Florida, it's you know 100 degrees, you're sweating, you've got a bottle of water and you're trying to keep yourself hydrated. And you're standing for an hour, hour and a half so that you can ride for a minute and a half on a ride and get that adrenaline rush. That's why we, they call them adrenaline junkies, right? You wait an hour and a half or a minute and a half, that's what you get. But I could do the weight and I could do the heat. I got a different problem. I'm standing there and I see people coming to the front of the line. You know, and they got these bands on and they scan the band and they get to go to the front. Or they're wearing this thing around their neck and that that lets them in. Or they have a special ticket. And I almost imagine they're smirking at me when they're going in. You know, looking over at me as I'm sweating profusely. And they're going straight into the ride. And I always think to myself, that ought to be me. 
Or, or I think they should be in line with all the rest of us sufferers. They're not really in it like we are in it to wait for this hour, hour and a half for this ride. And it drives me crazy. There's something about me, and maybe about you, that thinks I deserve special treatment. I should be at the front of the line. Why not me? Because I'm me. It's not just amusement park that's happened to. I, I haven't been cured of this because I can't ride roller coasters. This sickness goes on. I'll sit at a wedding reception. And I'll look and see which tables get dismissed first. Come on, you know you've done it. And I'm wondering maybe if they can get to my table next. Or maybe, see I can do something you can't do. I can play the pastor card. I mean they couldn't have gotten married without me. So, so maybe I should get to go first. And I just feel entitled. Because again, it's me. That one didn't work for you? Okay, okay. Christy's taught me a way around this one. I'm doing better. But I'll be in a big city. Whatever city. And I'll be in a line of cars. You've been there. The horns are beeping and you're waiting. And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And Christy's saying, watch out for that car, you know. And, and somebody wants to turn right and get into my lane, which will then take it longer for me to get to where I'm going. And I feel like I've been waiting long enough already. And when I turned right to get in, I had to wait five minutes. Why should they have to wait 20 seconds and, and, and me let them in? No, I'm going. And Christy will say, let them in. Let them in. But no, where I'm going is important. It's me. Would you turn to Mark chapter 10? I really hope I'm not the only one that does that, by the way. You know, I'm going to feel really bad if you're like, that That example fell short. None of us feel like that, ever. It's not about us. I think it is, though. I think it is, though. Look at Mark chapter 10. There should be a Bible in front of you if you haven't, if you, if you didn't bring one. I'm reading out of ESV. You'll have the NIV in front of you. We're going to look at John, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant for us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said, Yeah, we're able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant with James and John. We'll pause. James and John. 
I mean, you've got to know there's 12 disciples. But the inner circle is three. Peter, James, and John. And Peter's kind of the man. He's kind of the rock. Right? And you've got James and John. Who are they? Sons of Thunder. Sons of Zebedee. Jesus' cousins. Oh. So how about a little preferential treatment? We'll leave Peter out of this. He doesn't need to know about this. Well, he's going to find out. We'll leave Peter out of it. Because after all, when the king comes into his kingdom, there's going to be someone on the right. That's number two guy. And someone on the left, number three guy. And there's only two guys. Peter, James, and John. It's going to be James and John. And although Mark doesn't tell us, Matthew tells us they put their mother up to it. They sent their mom to Jesus to ask this request. Mark kind of gives us the, um, the reality underneath it. They wanted to know. They wanted these positions. And they sent mom to request it of Jesus. And so Jesus says, you know, can you, be, can you drink this cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with my baptism? Now, now, you know, in the Old Testament sense, what that meant was you have a cup and you're forced to drink it. And, and what's in that cup? It could be a cup of gladness, a cup of joy. I think there's a place in Green Bay called Cup of Joy. You know, the, it, it can be a beautiful thing that, that you know, gladdens the heart. Or it can be the wrath of God. The wrath of God Almighty. And you've got to drink down the wine of the wrath of God. Can you drink that cup? Can you drink it down? And, and they said, oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can take your baptism on. Give it to us. They had no idea. And Jesus said, actually you will be. A few weeks ago in church we talked about James being martyred by Herod. Oh, you will be. You will drink this cup. But to get let you sit on my right and left, that's for somebody else. That's been appointed for other people. Now, I don't know who those people are. I don't know who those people are. But I wonder. Don't you wonder? And I wonder, and I don't know, I'm not saying this 100%, I wonder if the right and the left is for thief number one and thief number two. When you come into your glory, can we be on your right and left? You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink my cup? Thief number one and thief number two. And I can only imagine what they thought when they looked at the two thieves on Jesus' right and left. I wonder if it just hit them. I I don't know. I'll ask one day. This is what Jesus did in the moment. He wanted to teach them a lesson about power, about kingliness. What do you do with your power? We're picking it up at verse 42. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, 
Their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Not my people, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus sets up a different kind of kingdom. And it's not about the love of power. It's about the power of love. Do you see? But it's me. Whatever I have that makes me powerful, strength, intelligence, resources, wealth, whatever it is that I have to my credit, that I think well of myself, I want to be at the front of the line. I want the best. And then I hear Jesus' words here, right? I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to be at the front of the line. I didn't come to be at the front of the buffet line. I didn't come to be first. I came to be last. And I want you to be last. I want you to be a slave to everybody. Everybody. And whatever power you have, you don't got to be the mayor. You don't have to be the, the congressman. You don't have to be the president. Whatever power you have, don't use it for you. Use it for them. Use it for them. This is not about the love of power, James and John. This is about the power of love. And love is others-focused. It's not me first. So stop it. Not my people. Not my people. Jesus is a different kind of king, setting up a different kind of kingdom. Well, what kind of king is he that sets up this kingdom where it's not about loving your power and using it to make your life more comfortable, but using it for others? What kind of king is this? And I believe Jesus displays his kingship from the cross. I believe he displays his reign over the world from the cross. I believe that's the reality of it. When you think of the office of the President of the United States, what symbols come to your mind? I think Secret Service, guys in suits with uh, earpieces, talking, watching, ready to sacrifice themselves for this important person. So that person won't die. The Secret Service will die. I think of that image. I think of Air Force One, this incredible plane that the President is on. I think of the Oval Office, where where amazing conversations are had that I have no clue about. And decisions are made that impact so many people happening in that office. I think of the White House. Some of you 8th graders will be going there very soon just to see it. You think of those symbols of power, of government. 
And I want you to keep those symbols in mind because the king thing is a little bit further from us, isn't it? And what do kings have? They have crowns. They have robes. They have a scepter. That's what kings have. They have power. And imagine that Imagine that a condemned criminal was flown on Air Force One, was surrounded by the Secret Service, that sat in the Oval Office with the President of the United States on the day that man was going to die. Imagine that. And we would say, we would think, the joke's on him. It's a farce. It's ridiculous. This is the day of his death and he's dining with the president. He's sitting down in that place. None of us can get into that place. And now think about how a first century person would have seen Jesus. He's got the robe. A purple robe. He's got soldiers kneeling down hailing him as king. He's got a crown on, on his coronation day of sorts. Only it's a crown of thorns. He doesn't hold the scepter. He is beat with a reed by the soldiers who mock him as king. Pilate has a sign put up King of the Jews. In different languages to make sure the point is made. The religious leaders scoff. If you're the king of the Jews, come down. We would say, the people of the first century would say, it's a joke. It's a joke. Soldiers bowing before the man clothed in purple whose back is raw. It's a joke. Only we know the secret here. The joke's on them. They're the ones living the farce. They're the ones not clued into what is really going on. Because what we know is, every time they hailed Him King, it was truth. Right? Every time they bowed, they should have stayed on their knee longer. When they put that crown of thorns on his head, it ought to have been made of gold. But Jesus is a different kind of king. And on the cross, he reigned. He ruled over, well, the powers of darkness. He ruled over the forces of Satan. He ruled over Pilate's best men who put him there. He ruled over the religious leaders who called for his crucifixion. He ruled over the world. He wasn't just the king of the Jews. The joke's on them. Because they just crucified the king of kings. And what the king of kings teaches us is 
My life is all about the cross. But it's me. No, it's about Him. It's about following in His footsteps. It's about giving of myself for others. That's what we're here for. That's the rule of the King. The rule of the King is sacrificial love. That's His way. And in His darkest, weakest, most vulnerable moment, how is it that the Bible can tell us He defeated darkness. He made a public spectacle of the spiritual forces that were against Him. How can that be? How can a king reign from a cross? This is a different kind of king. And to put an exclamation point on the end of this message, would you look at Mark 15? You heard it read earlier. I'll call your attention to it again. My hope is that when you read the story of the crucifixion, and when you think about the crown of thorns and the purple robe, the reed that was beat onto him, you'd think, the king. He's the king. And he's not a pathetic king. He's a powerful king. Because he rules pierced by love. He rules. Let's pick it up in verse 33. Mark 15, 33. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled the sponge with sour wine, put a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see where Elijah, whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, don't miss this, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, the centurion said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Do you know who calls themselves a Son of God? King. It was a title of kings. They would call themselves the Son of God as a claim to deity, or at the very least a claim that my power is divine. Call me the Son of God. Theos weas, Son of God. Call me the Son of God. And this centurion, I mean, again, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. He sees a bloodied man on a cross And he has this thought come into his mind, this is divine power. What? When you're at your weakest point, your most vulnerable, pathetic, beaten down, and he thinks, power. Son of God. Not Caesar. Jesus. Lord Jesus, 
Would You forgive us for our self-centeredness? We think it's all about us. What we don't realize is, Jesus, You're not the pathetic one hanging from the cross. Our self-centeredness is pathetic. And Your vulnerability, Your nails in Your hands, are power. Power. The power of love that has changed us, that has called us into a different kind of life. May we spend our lives for the glory of You, the King. May we come into our communities not to be served, but to serve. But to serve. May You keep leading me on into an others-focused, loving, sacrificial life. May You lead us all in the way of the cross. O King of kings, in Your name.